0: Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. We have some songs that have some of these words in them, don't we? So as you think about these these verses, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Now we want want to talk about the soul probably Thursday night. Trusting God with our soul. I lift up my soul. He has... uh, We have all trust in Him, even with our soul. Oh my God, I trust in You. Let me not be ashamed. God, never uh, let me down. Never uh, let me put my confidence in You. I can't imagine putting my confidence in God and somehow He lets me down. Let not my enemies triumph over me because I'm trusting in You, Lord. Indeed, let no one who waits on You be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. uh, For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. So I tried to highlight some of these key points. Oh my God, I trust in you. Let no one who waits on you be ashamed. On you I wait all the day. You've got to have a lot of confidence in someone to wait on them, to trust them that, oh, they'll come through. I've just got to wait. They said they take care of this. They said they would do a certain thing. So we'll, we'll just wait. You have people that you wouldn't wait on them, you know. Uh, I, I, I know people that if you said you're going to leave at 10 o'clock, it might be 10.30 before they get there. You know? uh, and you say, well, I can't wait on them. Who knows when they'll get here? And other people, like I heard of somebody say one time, if, if Brother May says 6 o'clock, Then, if Brother May says 6 o'clock, then don't, don't, uh, now I forgot which way around he said this. Because it was, it was funny. Um, Oh, if Brother May says 6 o'clock, he don't mean 5.99. I thought, okay. Um, And so there's some people you wouldn't wait on. You know, you just don't have any confidence. Others, you say, just wait a minute. Give them a minute. (laughs) I don't know what happened. I know they're coming. Because you have confidence, so the Lord tells us to to be in a certain way, to do a certain thing, to to believe in Him, to accomplish whatever the circumstance might be. You can trust God. Wait on Him. Here's a good example. Can you imagine being here? I I thought about this. I don't know who drew this picture, but I thought Pharaoh looks pretty wicked there. Um, But what if you were the Israelites back here? Here are the Israelites. Here's the Red Sea. Here's Pharaoh and all his army. I don't know if Pharaoh literally was there, but certainly his army uh, was there. What would you do? I, I know they had to be so afraid. There is the most powerful army they had ever seen bearing down on them. The same army that had kept them in slavery for many years. They knew nothing but slavery. And here they were bearing down on them. And yet what What are they going to be told? What what should they do? Where should they go? And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Like just stay where you are. They wanted to give up, kind of throw their hands up, surrender. We'll just go back to Egypt. Uh, At least we won't die out here but Moses wanted them to wait on the Lord. Did they trust God enough? Just just wait. Just wait. Sometimes people make rash decisions. Uh, like, well, this isn't the best thing for me to do, but I don't know what else. To do. So they just go ahead and do it, even though God has maybe said, that's not what you ought to do. We've got to trust God to wait on Him. Well, why should you? Why should you trust God? Have you ever thought about that? Well, I think the answer is it's based on who God is. We trust God because He's God and because of what we know about Him. As folks, I want us to look now at a few verses that just tell us about who God is. God is... God is my strength and my defense. Psalm 59, verse 17. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. And we think about the New Testament says, if God be for us, who can be against us? God is my defense. That's that's who He is. Think about this characteristic of God. He cannot lie. He cannot lie. I don't know about you, but if I find someone who is prone to lie... I lose trust in them. How how can you depend on anything they tell you? Uh, In Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man that He should lie, nor a son of man that He should repent. Has He said, and will He not do, or has He spoken, and will He not make it good? A more familiar passage, Hebrews 6, verse 17, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. I worked for with a, I worked with someone one time years ago I was a teenager and I don't know if anybody remembers the old A&P grocery store but uh, that's where I worked. But I worked with someone that was really bad about making things up. You know, we Southerners like to be nice. We don't like to say he's lying, but he sure would make something up. And and so I had caught him in one uh making something up. And so uh, he, was, he was talking about, we had just gotten in a big display of these drip coffee makers. These were brand new. Everybody else might take them for granted, but this was in the mid-70s. And so we had gotten the first ones I'd ever seen. And, and so this man said, I don't like them. I said, how do you know you don't like them? I bought one. I don't, I don't like them. I said, I don't think you bought one. Yes, I did. He said, in fact, you can have it. I said, I don't think you bought one. The next day, he brought one to my house. And the next day I went to work, there was one missing off the display. So I got a new coffee maker out out of that. But you can't trust somebody that you could easily assume they could very well be lying. God would never do that. In fact, it is impossible for God to lie. That is just not his character at all. Something else about God, though. The reason we can trust Him. He is merciful. Deuteronomy 4, verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which He swore to them. That's our God. I'm so glad that He's merciful. We need that. God is also our refuge. Now, Deuteronomy 23, verse 27, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, Destroy. you trust somebody that you know you can take refuge for safety, for for help? Psalm 91, verse 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. I want to look at... um, Psalm 62, Psalm 62. The psalmist is talking about this same idea here in Psalm 62 and uh, starting in verse 5. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock And my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. You can just see the the psalmist here, and this is uh, David talking. And he's warning his people, never forsake God. He's your refuge. You can safely trust in Him. Well, That's who our God is. He's also my strength and my defense. Psalm 99, verse 17, To you, O my strength. I will sing praises for God is my defense, my God of mercy. There's mercy again. He's my defense. I can trust Him. I can be safe. I can take refuge. I can receive mercy. All of the things that are, uh, again, characteristic uh, of God. I think about David. David was a... Was A good man, not a perfect man by any stretch. He was a man after God's own heart. And I think about, why did David put such trust in God? And and I think it's something that is missing with a lot of people professing to be Christians. He trusted God because of his own experience with God. Sometimes I think Christians leave God out of their life. We, We don't communicate with God. We don't take our life to God in prayer. And I think about a person who is praying to God, trusting God, is taking refuge in God. He's waiting on the Lord, and he might be taking his problems and his issues. And Lord, I don't know what to do about this. I'm not sure what to do about this other. And then things uh, fall into place. Things happen in life. I say, you know, I I know what to do. Thank you, Lord. But what if you never included the Lord? And, and and so you're not giving God the credit, the glory. You're not seeing Him interact in your life. God is there. His providence is, is working in our lives. Uh, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. So He's active and working, but we've got to trust Him. We've got to wait on Him. And David saw that with God. And because of that, he... He, it was like stepping stones of faith in his life. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 17, one, one uh, of the well-known stories of the Old Testament will turn there. And we'll notice that uh, you might say David's righteous indignation is going to be stirred up. He is not going to like what he is hearing. And, and so in 1 Samuel 17, David uh, is sent by his father Jesse to take some supplies down to his brother's. See how the war is going. They were fighting the Philistines. And so the Philistines had this champion named Goliath. He was huge. I mean, if, he could, if, if somebody like that was here today, he would, he would dominate any professional sport he decided to enter. He was over nine feet tall. But not skinny. He was a big man. And, and so the idea was Goliath would come out... And say, you just send out somebody to fight me. And if I win, you serve us. If y'all win, we'll serve you. Now that was a lie to start with. They had no intentions of doing that. But that was the premise of what they were doing. And so he would come out he would taunt the armies of God. In verse 11, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I tell you, it just made David mad. David is there uh, doing what his father told him to do. He drops the supplies off. He runs out to check on his brothers. And he hears this Philistine toning the armies of the living God. And it, again, it made him angry. Verse 23. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. And so the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And then they tell him all oh, what the king would do to the man who can defeat this giant. But David keeps questioning, keeps questioning, what about, what's going to happen? What would the king do? And all this gets back to, to the king, King Saul. And so he is, Saul calls him wants to talk with this young man. Everybody else is afraid. Only David is speaking up. And so in verse um, 33, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, now now, notice what David said. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and Took a lamb out of the flock. I went after it, struck it, delivered the lamb from its mouth. And then when it arose against me, I caught it by his beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing... He has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, Go and may the Lord be with you. Finally, someone who will stand up. But do you see what David is building on? The Lord's done this for me. He's done that for me. And he'll do this for me too. He trusted God to deliver him. Well, you know the story. First, he, you know, Saul tries to you know, put my armor on. David couldn't use that. He, he was not familiar with armor. It was just too much for him. He took his sling. He t- took five smooth stones. And he runs out to meet the giant. And so in verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. See, David's righteous indignation. But he was basing it all, he trusts God. God has been with me. He will help me and I will be victorious because of God. So in verse 50, David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. David didn't even have a sword. So he took Goliath's own sword and he finishes the job, you might say. He has killed the Philistine. All that because he trusted in God. But I want us to to keep in mind, David included God in every struggle he had, every test that he had, every circumstance. He trusted God to be with him, and then he saw God was. And then when a bigger challenge came, God will be with me again. He was with me before. He'll still be with me. Uh, You think about Abraham. God, back in Genesis chapter 22, asked Abraham to do something absolutely unthinkable. You think, those of us who are parents, anybody could imagine this, but especially if you're a parent. When God says to Abraham, I want you to do something, Abraham. And Genesis 22 and verse 1 came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, now notice how God puts this. God doesn't God does it sugarcoat it. He actually brings up all the reasons maybe Abraham wouldn't do this thing. Take now your son. First of all, your son, not a servant, not somebody of the enemy. Take your son. Your only son. God isn't pulling any punches. He's your only son, Isaac. Whom you love. So, Lord, just, just rub salt in the wound. Whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, did Abraham try to negotiate this? Try to put it off? Try to say, let's wait? He said, no. Verse 3 Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son, split the wood for the burnt offering, and went where God had told him to go. Now, Isaac is wondering about this. They get to the place where God has said, and, and so Isaac is, is saying verse 7, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide. God will provide. And you know the story, how they, they go on up, they build the altar, they put the wood on it, Abraham is ready to do what God told him. He binds his son, he has him on the altar, draws his hand back with the knife, and the angel of the Lord called to him and stopped him. And the Lord would say, now I know. Now I know, Abraham, because you have not withheld your only son. And he repeats the blessings to him in verse 17. But can you imagine that kind of trust in God? We get a lot more insight if you turn to Hebrews chapter 11. What was going on in Abraham's mind? Here's your son, your only son. They didn't count Ishmael. Ishmael was not the son of promise. Isaac was the son of promise. This is through whom all the blessings would come. And so Abraham is, I'll tell you what he's doing. He's trusting God. Hebrews 11 and in verse uh, 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, "In Isaac, your seed shall be called. Now, how do you reconcile all of this in your mind? God promised me through Isaac, all the blessings would flow. Here's what he decided. Verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. He was past the age of having children. Sarah certainly was. And said, well, I guess God's just going to raise him up. Isn't that incredible trust? God made these promises. God cannot lie. God, it's impossible for God to lie. He told me this. Only thing he can figure, God's going to raise him from the dead. If I kill him, God will raise him back up. What what, uh, amazing trust he's showing. Well... You could probably tell from this scene here what this story is about. How much trust must Daniel have had? Here the king has said, don't pray to anybody but me. What does Daniel do? He immediately opens his window, does what he always does, goes to God in prayer. Because of that, the penalty for doing that was to be thrown into the lion's den. Of course, his enemies were trying to find fault with Daniel, and that's the only thing they could come up with. And so the king couldn't get Daniel out of it. He had signed the decree. There was no way around it. And so Daniel is cast into the lion's den. Well, the king hardly sleeps at all, gets up early in the morning, and it says, Now the king was exceedingly glad for him. He, he, he says, Daniel, has your God, whom you serve, been able to deliver you? And Daniel responds to him. And then the king is so glad. But notice what the king says. They commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up uh, out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Now Daniel trusted, God's going to get me out of this. I served God. I've been faithful. He's been faithful to me. Well, there's another story in the same uh, section here in Daniel about Daniel's three young friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember how the king, Nebuchadnezzar, erected this giant statue? And when you hear all this music being played, you bow down, worship that statue. Well, these three young Jewish men, oh no, we're not doing that. Well, word gets back to the king. You've got these three, but by the way, king, you've given pretty good positions there in your palace, uh, in your court, and they won't bow down. Well, the king, he calls them up. Gonna give them one more chance. Kind of, I'm gonna give you one more chance to straighten this out. When you hear all the music, you you just bow down, and everything'll be okay. Well, if you don't, if you don't worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? That's how arrogant Nebuchadnezzar was. Who who can deliver you, said Nebuchadnezzar. I love their answer and their attitude. They said, well, we don't know. (laughs) We don't know what God's going to do. We think He'll deliver us. But notice what they say. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and He will deliver us from your hand, O king, but if not. Now, do we trust God enough that either, with either answer? He says yes, He says no. Do we trust Him either way? They did. He said, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Oh, now the king is angry. He is so angry, in fact, that he wants the, the furnace heated up seven times the normal amount. They're thrown into the fire. Fire so hot, even the soldiers who threw them in there were killed. And then Nebuchadnezzar's looking into the fire. Look, he answered. I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, and notice what he said, and delivered his servants who trusted in him. Nebuchadnezzar recognized that what they were doing is showing we trust God. Whatever he decides. You just know, King, we're not worshiping your God. What a great, great testimony of faith. Now, sometimes trust is misplaced. Sometimes people trust in the wrong thing. Idolatry, I think, is one of the signs of that. that. It was a constant problem with Israelites going into idolatry. And I think the root of it, at least a good part of it, they didn't trust God. In uh, their environment, everybody else but the Jews believed in many gods. And in fact, every location had its own God. And, and they didn't mind at all having many different ones. They believed in all of them. But what they were doing is hedging their bet. If this God doesn't deliver you, maybe this one will. They didn't have full trust in any of them. And, and so, when... As the years went by, it would get so bad. Remember we talked about the divided kingdom, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom immediately went into idolatry and God allowed the northern kingdom to be taken by the Assyrians. It was because of idolatry. Judah was alone. Well, she went into idolatry. God allowed them to be taken. Now they're in the, uh, in the time we call, remember, the return. They were, they were in captivity for 70 years. Now they're coming back. But, you know, even the remnant, when they, they took, Nebuchadnezzar took all the, quote, good people to Babylon. Started out with the royal family like Daniel in the first wave of the captivity. And then the second wave of, the, of, of taking Jerusalem took people like um, Ezekiel. And then the third time they came in, they just leveled the place. But they left a handful of people. The poorest of the poor were left to take care of the crops and do the menial jobs that had to be done. Those people now, those people are talked about in Jeremiah chapter 42. Let's, uh, let's turn over there. And what I want us to see is they didn't trust God. They, they didn't trust God. Um, it it kind of helps to explain why they got left. Uh, they God took... The best of his people put them over in Babylon, kind of in a relatively safe place. Let them grow and let them hopefully learn their lessons, and then he bring them back home. But in the meantime, the poor, the portion of the poor, were left. Well, now they're wanting, they're wondering what to do. Nebuchadnezzar put a governor in charge, Gedaliah. Gadali. Gedaliah was assassinated. Well, when Gedaliah and the people with him were assassinated, the remnant there thought, we need to flee to Egypt. We need to flee. And, and Jeremiah saying, no, don't do that. And, well, at first, though, they come to Jeremiah and they say, Jeremiah, tell us what God wants us to do. Do we need to flee from... Egypt? We're afraid of the, of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Uh, Gedaliah, the governor's being killed. They're going to take that out on us. And so they come to Jeremiah Pretending that they're going to do whatever God says to do, and so in Jeremiah chapter forty-two, and in verse one, now all the captains of the forces, Johanan the son of, uh, Kareah, uh, Jezaniah the son of Hoshea, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, please. Let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing that we should do. Oh, it sounded like they were going to do whatever God said. In verse uh, verse 6, Whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord. Doesn't that sound good? Jeremiah knew better. God knew better. Uh, chapter 43 and verse 1. Now it happened when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people. Jeremiah tells them, God said, stay here. Don't go to Egypt. So he tells them all of that. And then verse 2 of chapter 43. That Azariah, the son of Hosea, jo- uh, Johanan the son of Kerea, and all the people spoke, saying to Jeremiah, you speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. (laughs) That's not the answer that they wanted. And they didn't trust God with the answer because they thought they knew what they wanted to do. And as the story keeps unfolding, we see what the root of the problem was. Going over to chapter 44 and in verse 16, here's what the people are thinking. As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you, but we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. As we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, for then we had plenty of food, were well off and saw no trouble. That's all. That, that was their guide right there. That was their standard. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have liked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. They didn't trust God. They decided that God's just not blessing us like we think we ought to be blessed and, and we're just going to keep uh, sacrificing to these, we would say, false gods. But they had more confidence in those idols than in Jehovah. So verse 23, Jeremiah said, here's the problem right here. Because you have burned incense and because you have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord or walked in His law and His statutes or His testimonies, therefore this calamity has happened to you as it is this day. And unfortunately, Jeremiah couldn't change their mind. They took, evidently took Jeremiah with them to Egypt and the story ends there. We don't know what happened to them in Egypt except that God said the sword will find you there. You'll still, still bear the iniquity. Again, the problem is they didn't trust God. Jesus is our ultimate example of trusting God. Everything Jesus did was to do what his father said. To do his father's will. He he was willing because he loved and trusted his father. You think about in the garden. He's he's crying out to God. And he said, and it's like, Father, is there any other way? Let this cup pass from me. But but then what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He trusted his father. Whatever the answer was. And, and the Lord knew. That's why he came. The human part, the fleshly part, didn't look forward to the cross. Didn't look forward to the scourging, the awful beating, the awful um, uh, torture that he would endure. But the bottom line was, whatever you say, Father, that's what I'm going to do. And when he was on the cross... And we'll talk more about this, Lord willing, Thursday night. But when he was on the cross, in Luke 23 and verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. I'm told by people who study Greek mythology and the Roman mythology and all of that, that the gods did not trust each other, those false gods, and, and their, and their uh, mythology... The gods didn't trust each other. They were always scheming against each other, trying to gain power. And so when a Roman soldier, the Roman citizens, were here, Jesus say, Father, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. And they're thinking, this is the time for one God to gain the upper hand over another one. Jesus wasn't worried about that. Father, I trust you. I trust you with my spirit. <coughs> How can we not trust God, who's given us everything, even His own Son? That's the argument that is made in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, and we'll read down through verse 35. Think about what He's saying. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Think about who God is, what He's done. How how could we not trust Him? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He is our refuge. He is our shelter in the time of the storm. He is our Savior. I think we (laughs) somehow skipped that one earlier with all the the trouble I was having. All these things about God. Here, Paul says... Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and, furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Look, look at the position we're in. God's done all of that for us through His Son. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Can any of those things separate us from the love of God? And that rhetorical answer is no. How can we not trust God who has freely given us all things? And so, again, that, that is the basis for what we want to look at this week. We have to have complete trust in God. We walk by faith, not by sight. God says, here's the best way. Tomorrow night, we want to talk about the home. Well, God said, here's the way you raise your children. Here's who should be the head of the house. Here's the role the husband has, the father has, the wife has, the mother has. Who do we trust, Dr. Spock? (laughs) Or do we trust God? The world says, I want to tell you, you know... It doesn't have to be Adam and Eve. It can be Adam and Steve. Well, who do you trust? We trust God. And that, those will be the things tomorrow night. But I wanted us to be reminded of who our God is. He has given us everything in Jesus. He, he is God. He is the Almighty. It's Him we trust. It's not me. It's not you. We trust God. As we read, as we bring our, our thoughts to a close. In Second Corinthians three, verse four and five, and we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of, uh, to, to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. I enjoyed going with Stephen last night to the uh, um, center. Of the uh, Rehab center. I'm not sure what it's called, Stephen. But we were talking there uh, with with those who were there, and part of I lost my train of thought. Uh, I was trying to think of one thing, and I forgot the other. Um, but as we talked to to those who were there, trying, I oh, I know what it was. We talked about that that. Doing things our own way is really a blend of uh, and thinking we're somehow serving God, but we want to do it like we want to do it. It's a blend, a little bit of believing in God and a bit of humanism. Because humanism says, I can figure it out myself. I trust myself. And where we are in you trust God. That's who you trust. Our sufficiency is not in ourselves, it says here. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And if that's the case, then everything in our life is is tempered by that, is regulated by that. We trust God. We trust Him with our homes. We trust Him uh, with truth, with the right way of doing things according to truth. We trust Him with our soul trust Him with our grief and sorrow. So I look forward to the rest of the week. But I encourage us all, show in our lives God's way is the best way. Not my way, but His way. Let's take our psalm books and turn to the number uh, that has uh, been selected. We, I don't know who might be here who, who maybe has not been trusting God. Now man will tell you all kind of things to do to be saved. Who do you trust? I can't think of a better person to trust than Jesus. And Jesus said in Mark 16 and verse 15 and 16, He's telling His disciples, you go into all the world. And when you go there and you're making these disciples, what is it you're telling them? You're telling them that he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Now man will tell you a lot of things, but he doesn't generally tell you that. But he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Who who do you trust? Do you trust the one that says, well, what you need to do is just pray this prayer right here. And yet you look through God's Word, you don't find that prayer. But you do look and find Jesus saying, he that believes and is baptized, and and a lot of other places that would say essentially that same thing. Who do you trust? Some will tell you, well, once you're saved, you're always saved. Don't worry about that. Well, who do you trust? You look into God's Word and and you read things like, Let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. And we're told to a Christian who sinned, Repent and pray to God that the thought of your heart be forgiven. Doesn't sound like once they were saved, they were always saved. Trust God. God says, be faithful unto death. Oh, you can not not feel your faith is and salvation is so precarious that, that you're fearful of it all the time. But neither think that you can just live how you want to, and it doesn't matter. God said, yes, it matters. Trust God. If you have been unfaithful, if there are things in your life you need to confess, trust God that if you'll do that, if you'll repent of that, ask him to forgive you, trust him that he has. He will there's some way we can help you tonight. Let it be known while we stand and sing.